Welcome to CalCast, your creator national podcast. God Network News, Episode 147. Welcome, GNN fans, to another episode of God Network News, the podcast that tells you what God's doing around the world, not what CNN tells you, but what GNN tells you is going on in the world. If you're tired of listening to all of that crisis network news and you want to hear what God's doing, well, give us a listen. Greetings, God Network News fans, to another great series that we'll be doing on movements for these next few weeks. We've got some exciting podcasts that have been recorded by some colleagues of ours, all on the topics of movements, what makes movement leaders, what makes a movement, all kinds of exciting things. We're going to be focusing a lot on what God's doing in this season of missions, which is movements of peoples, whole people groups to Christ. There's amazing things happening, miracles everywhere. One of our organizations that we are partnering with, 2414, is already monitoring 1,360 movements. And each of these movements have over 56,000 new believers among them. And these are just amongst unreached people groups. So God is up to something really fantastic. And we're going to be looking into this in the next few weeks of our podcast of God Network News. Portions of our podcast will be made up of rebroadcasted podcast interviews from a friend of ours named Steve Addison. Steve Addison is a great podcaster and very passionate about movements of peoples to Christ. And Steve has his own podcast, very successful podcast with over 226 podcast episodes. And the name of his podcast is On the Road to No Place Left. And we highly recommend that you subscribe to his podcast because he has an overwhelming library of exciting topics related to movements. And if you want to learn more about movements, this is the place to find the information. And he has lots of training and tools and other resources that will really make your investigation of this topic successful. So we really want to thank Steve Addison and his partners there at movements.net forward slash podcast. That's how you can find it at movements.net forward slash podcast for all of the resources that he has given us for these next few podcasts. Thank you very much, Steve. So let's get right into our interview with a good friend of ours, Jay Pratt, working in Myanmar. Muslim imam's son came to Christ through her witness and grabbed that Injil Sharif, that New Testament, out of her hand, and he turned a massive movement of Rohingyas for Jesus. I have, I have pictures of Muslims getting baptized in rows and rows and rows, getting baptized together. Not the, 
not my traditional Southern Baptist way. <laughs> my mom looked at the picture. She's like, they're not doing that the right way. And I'm like, mom, but they're obeying Jesus. You know, like, come on. <laughs> they, they, they stand shoulder to shoulder all their life in a mosque and they're coming to know Jesus. They're repenting of their sins and they're coming to know him and believing in him that he's dead, died on the cross and he rose again and he's coming back. And uh, so it, it's really an amazing story what happened through this. Uh, they're killing each other right in the middle of all that. Jesus does his thing. He is the peacemaker. He's the Prince of Peace. Cross-cultural leadership training, helping the, these new house church leaders to break over into completely different ethnic groups that never heard the gospel. Once they had the house church model of multiplication through house churches and, and a couple of things about leadership and some basic discipleship, that next leap of going over to the, uh, to the, to the next people group, that really was amazing. Yeah, I just hear too, I mean, quick obedience, but then leaders like really pushing them out to, um, it's their work, right? It's not your work that they're helping with, uh, it's their work. I went there to go reach the, the Rohingyas, but God didn't let me do it. And he did that through the people that I raised up. Hmm. He, reached, he reached those people <clears throat> indirectly through me, but uh, I was so happy that it wasn't actually me. <laughs> it's hmm. very cool the way God did that. Uh, I, I want to reach the Rohingya, but all these Rakhine Buddhists got in the way. So God totally redirected me. And um, but we, we, we do a leadership training. We, we have this uh, system of leadership training called Just Obey Jesus. And once they've been through the basics, they, we help them go through Train to Multiply program that George Patterson developed. It's a leadership training through cartoon books. So you're basically taking seminary out to the villages and taking them through a, a systematized leadership structure on how to multiply churches. George would always refer to train and multiply as a menu approach. How, did, how have you adapted that then? We just, we just do it systematically. We teach them to say, you're going to learn this, and then you're going to learn this, and then you're going to learn this. But uh, before we get into train and multiply, we, do, we get through the basic training of the eight commands and then the leadership development and leap and how to do the leap and, and listen, evaluate, assign new tasks and praise them and pray for them. And, and model all that. That is the basic, basic, basic. And then once they need to learn about uh, what's the Trinity and how to study the Bible and more in depth on cross-cultural communication, we, we bust out the train to multiply. But we teach it systematically, just kind of let everybody read it together and, and move forward with it. And then we give them a, a, a degree. You graduated. One thing we do for leadership training, we're getting uh, Mr. Red and the major and a lot of these folks, uh, Sister Laughter, I call her, uh, opportunities to speak other places. And so I model for them uh, a creative way to do training, leadership training, and, and sharing the vision. We do a lot of skits that uh, George did in the Train and Multiply program. And one of the skits is uh, Sheep and Wolves. Here in Burma, we call it Sheep, uh, sheep and Tigers. And so we have, a, have people spread out into a th- group of three. And then we have uh, two tigers named uh, by Satan, their coach. And the tigers try to decimate the flocks by putting two hands on one shoulder. That means the sheep are dead. And usually the, the tigers can kill, you know, at least a dozen or, or, or from each of these three spread out house churches. And then I stop and I ask, uh, now, what do we do to, to help people from getting killed, help these, stop these sheep from getting killed? And everybody starts talking. Blah, 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 blah. And then somebody says, eventually they say, hey, we need to get more shepherds. And I'm like, yeah, let's get some more shepherds. So we get more shepherds, and then the next time you play, the tigers can't kill the sheep. And so developing a leadership training where you're doing skits and games and the five different ways of adult learning, I think I heard you say one time, Jeff, and and getting it in a different way than just PowerPoint. When people start talking about CPM with PowerPoint, I want to, like, hurt somebody. Because that 
That does not work in villages in Burma or or Booger Holler or you know North Carolina where Jess from or Chicago. <laughs> it doesn't work. Just PowerPoint, PowerPoint, PowerPoint. And I think a lot of us need to learn some more creative ways to do leadership training. I'd love to know what are you seeing God do as you're then kind of cross pollinating back to trying to trying to teach us Americans to to live out what Jesus Jesus wants us to do. I, I started a little network of uh, house churches at, a, at ASU in Boone, North Carolina, but they didn't last. You know, I didn't really get excited about it because nobody baptized anybody. But um, I trained this other guy, and he started a movement in, in out west, and he has really taken off, and it's really working. We haven't really seen them do a lot of baptisms. That's what bothers me. It's like people, are, if they're not really getting baptized, I don't really consider it's a big deal. We take a lot of the creative ways, like we do. We do hand gestures for the eight commands of Christ. And you get like a whole room of people doing this. We found that that even really works with Westerners. We just did a, a Skype training with some, a lot of these uh, house church leaders out there in the western part of the U.S. where this is happening, and people are like loving it because they were teaching it back. You know, I've done that all over Asia, and I've done that with a crowd of like 500 people, and people were sh- cheering at the end of it. They liked that so much. So I'd say on, on leadership development, giving people different tools and different uh, ways to create, be more creative in, the, in different ways to be creative with how they communicate the vision. If you were to say, what's your leadership toolbox, what, what would be your four or five go-to tools in your leadership toolbox? Uh, eight commands of Christ, three levels of authority, because that, my wife believes that's actually more powerful than the eight commands because it's the theory behind the eight commands. Why? Are you doing all these <clears throat> silly basic commands of Christ? You know, why don't we just, so it helps people to decipher what are the, what are the apostles traditions? That's the second level. And the third level is the human traditions. It's not saying that seminary is wrong. It's just that it has a different priority. If you get them out of priority, everything gets messed up out of whack. Leap uh, modeling for people. George modeled it for me. Let me get, come into a lot of mentoring sessions and uh, listening for, uh, to the, you know, praying for people and evaluating how to do things and then assigning new tasks and new study, a new Bible study. Jesus did not continue to teach people who are not obedient. He assigned new tasks for people. Once they were obedient, then he gave them a deeper insight. Hey, I saw Satan fall from heaven. I'm sure later they were like, he saw Satan fall from heaven. Who is this guy? He's given them a deeper doctoral insight once they were obedient. And then he starts praising them and praying for them. I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you've hidden these things from the the PhD is and revealed it to little children who are obedient and uh, link analysis reports. We do a lot of, uh, <clears throat> I think you guys call it something else and, and no, no place left, but we call it link analysis because that's actually the scientific word for uh, a leadership flow chart and trying to analyzing in the direct line and indirect line. I showed that to a, a police investigator and he's like, where'd you see that? Where'd you get this from? I said, this guy named Bill Smith. And he's like, that's why I had books and books of that when I was a police investigator. This is criminology 101. And I was like, oh, okay. So you can analyze a whole network without ever going into the network. You're listening to God Network News Podcast with your host, Cal Curtis. Look up our website at godnetworknews.com. Tracking things that way. And now we're getting into a, a different way to track by plotting it on a map. The lawyer's method, we've got the best presentation for sharing the gospel with Buddhists. Jesus wants to set you free from the cycle of reincarnation and take you to a place where there's no more sin and no more suffering. You can't possibly get out of that cycle of sin and suffering yourself through obedience to the four noble truths, but Jesus wants to set you free from that. So we help people 
Uh, we napkinized that. I call it a lawyer's method. The major is also a lawyer. It's also called, maybe called the, the major's method. It's not really a method. It's just, it's like, uh, it's sharing the gospel from Buddha's law to Christ. Not trying to start with Jesus and then go to, to Buddhism, eventually bridging it, but just starting with the, the basics of Buddhism <clears throat> and helping people understand that they can't, they can't become 100% perfect the way Buddha said. You're talking to a, let's say a young, maybe young Asian or a, you know, young guy from the U.S., young guy from Singapore, getting ready to do some cross-cultural work. But what would be your couple of just key pieces of advice for them as they go and set out on this cross-cultural adventure? Find the ultimate reality in the culture that you're trying to uh, share the gospel with. If, if it's tribal, then it's probably the, their concept of the Most High God. If it's Muslim, it's the concept of Allah. There's nothing greater than Allah and then the prophets. And then um, in Buddhism, it's, there's no greater reality than Nirvana. So Nirvana in Buddhism, they say it's a golden city of Nirvana. So we've, the major, my cultural insider, my coach, he coaches me on how to share the gospel with Buddhists, and I coach him how to multiply house churches. Yeah, finding those cultural bridges through people who are successful at, at sharing the gospel through those bridges. I listened to Kevin Greeson. That's pretty much how I trained is how the, the camel method, just a simplified version of the camel method. Finding cultural bridges and uh, evaluating work that you've done. If, if, if you don't evaluate, you know, what you're doing, then if it doesn't lead to obedience-based discipleship, then uh, do not teach people who are, who are not going to obey. Don't teach people. Don't continue to pour into people who are not going to be obedient in multiplying uh, disciples and churches. When you do continue to teach people who are disobedient, you're heaping judgment on them on judgment day. You're giving them more condemnation. So, and you're taking time primarily away from the people who are uh, going to be obedient and are going to run with this vision. I, I read a, uh, a sermon by uh, Charles Finney, Charles Grandison Finney, who, who preached a sermon to his leadership during the second great awakening. And he said, uh, it's from Nehemiah. He said, uh, don't get down in the plains of Ono. Ono is a, a suburb of Tel Aviv, Israel right now, and it's a still a place. And the plains of Ono is where Sambalat and, and Tobias, the Ammonite, asked uh, Nehemiah to come down off that wall. You know, even if a fox ran up on top of that wall, things would fall down. What are you doing? What are you crazy? Come down here. Let's have a meeting. Talk about this. And Nehemiah's like, ah, nope. So Nehemiah's uh, perspective on spiritual warfare was don't get down in the plains of Ono. Don't say, woe is me, and start having a pity party like I have had done many times. You're definitely going to have opposition if you're going to help people obey the commandments of Jesus. You're definitely going to have people who are Judases or, or, or just par for the course, and it hurts. But um, the people who are the responsive people, like the lady I shared the story about, it's worth the, the, that, that joy of seeing these people obedient to Jesus, and they don't, they don't know any better. They just do what he says to do. I've seen a pattern. I don't know if you, I was going to ask you about this, Jeff. When you have a Paul that, and a, uh, a Timothy that rebels against the Paul and just turns into uh, becoming a, they're, they're an up and coming leader. And so they're kind of under this other strong leader. And what the tension is that they try to displace that other leader from that position. And it's, uh, I found out through uh, international studies, it's called Thucydides Trapped. It's kind of like what uh, when one rising nation is coming up and comp competing with another rising power, they try to uh, do something, and it always ends in conflict. Sometimes it doesn't, and then how do you uh, stop Timothy from turning on Paul? Yeah, that's that's interesting. It's sort of um, I wonder if that's sort of what Paul mitigated with Apollos. 
um, in Corinth because it seems like, you know, in chapters one through four, Paul probably should have, um, he sort of probably went after Apollos, but he never went after Apollos. He went after the church for allowing it to happen, the division. And so I thought it was a really great way to sort of exegete the situation, um, what he did with Apollos, because Apollos was clearly operating at least more as a peer, um, you know, in my mind, um, because he tells Paul, you know, hey, dude, I, I'm not going to Corinth. I'll come when I'm ready. You know, so Paul says, hey, I want you to come to Corinth. He goes, nah, I ain't coming. When I'm ready, I'll come. And he's obviously, and again, there's no evidence of any sin there uh, related to Apollos. You know, it, it really seems like this guy's a gifted speaker, gifted practitioner. But the church was in a, many ways allowing the division to raise up, you know. So I thought it was really fascinating how that was done because we were even discussing this last night on a leadership meeting of what can we do better as community when it comes to leadership in in those situations, you know, because maybe, you know, you look at, I've been really watching Paul, how often Paul plays the Barnabas role. And there's times where Paul, you know, he's got his normal Pauline role. And that's usually the piece we're really lifting up. But there's other times I think Paul shifts over to that Barnabas role. And I, I wonder, you know, with Mark on the first journey, Paul just wasn't ready for that. But now, you know, you go into the, the second, third journey and you see Paul play that role a little more. But I don't know. It's an interesting thought, you know, but I always wonder, is it do we need to shift to Barnabas sooner? Did we stay too long as Paul? So, I mean, there's a lot of a lot of different ways. Uh, one, what are we doing to mitigate it? Two, what are we doing? Are we adjusting to that Barnabas role? I just keep seeing that pattern Probably. over and over again. And um, <clears throat> one of the problems that I have is I don't speak Burmese fluently enough. I've leaned too much on the crutch of the major long-term. I need to get back into really communicating better with more uh, leaders so I can diversify uh, the leadership and not just have these, you know, a few people who end up being my translators, but also the key trainers. So raising up a lot more, we need a lot more, man. We have way too many women uh, house church movement catalysts. We have a very good problem that a lot of other ministries have not really had. <laughs> we have a lot of strong female leaders. So you were saying though, Jay, you just continue to have this like kind of Timothy to Paul and that baton. Is it almost like a passing isn't happening or just in the, yeah. the Timothy yeah. gaining skills, they ends up, there ends up being the rubbing, like rubbing. When, when Paul, maybe a better illustration would be Paul, when he was, uh, him and, and Barnabas were rubbing heads, he was kind of coming up. I mean, Barnabas went and got him, mm -hmm. but then uh, Paul was kind of becoming a stronger leader. And so that's when that rub starts coming and that's when the splits happen. And, you know, I, I've just kind of not try to force uh, unity around, you know, you work together. I've just kind of let then like, well, you know, let the, let the division come to find out who the faithful ones are. It says in first uh, Corinthians chapter 11, sometimes they've gone off and been more fruitful a lot of more times, I think more often than not, they just become more unfruitful. That speaks to me a lot that you're still learning and, and um, seeking God's will in that. That's awesome. enjoyed this episode, please consider donating to help us continue to bring exciting stories fresh from the field. Visit our website at godnetworknews.com. 
and select the PayPal link on the right side of the page or consider becoming a Patreon partner to receive access to more valuable materials exclusive to our members.